0: This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash FM.
1: This is J.G. Hertzler, General Mar talk on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM.
0: Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 5 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike, and today is Part 5 in our series on Larry Nemechek as an author, um, where we are going to be continuing our discussion with Larry himself about his uh, books. Last week we talked about the Star Trek The Next Generation companion as well as his episode of Voyager Prophecy and this week we are going to talk to him about Stellar Cartography which is his new Star Trek book. So let's just jump right back into it. Here is Max and myself interviewing Larry. All right, so so stellar cartography. Oh my god, um, we got stellar cartography to do. I, was thinking, I mean, you're we can we this can, up. we we can stop. No, no, no. I can. Stop if you guys want to torture everybody, just, we
2: can go ahead because I, la- I I laid the groundwork for stellar thing. cartography in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I just want to cover something here. The, did, what color is did, it? The lesson no. that you learned that the pictures are what matter is that what led you to make stellar cartography? Because <laughs> you were like, I guess people like the pictures. Let's uh, let's just do that, and I'll write some notes. <laughs>
2: No, what led me to do stellar cartography was uh, was John Van going, "Hey, we're finally doing some nonfiction again. We're gonna do a star chart. <laughs> you should do it. Okay." That's what led me to do. Uh,
1: uh, I, like we, we we'll get into it, but like I was I, I was I was really impressed with the, the text because there's so much stuff I didn't know.
0: Yeah, it it it, it was very surprising to yeah. uh, well you know, again that,
2: that, was like... that was a case where I mean the idea was because you know the maps themselves. Jeff did incredible, and I want to make sure everybody gets this. The way there was, you know, Jeff's the the 2002-2003 book, which was very cool because it was kind of like, oh, here's you know, Mandela Nemecik start charting again. Although it was his baby, the idea and the way it was done was he was he did it like Mike, uh, Mike and Denise did the encyclo, and Doug did the encyclopedia and the chronology, as in, um, hi. Um, we're gonna like not just write these, but lay them out ourselves, so we can have the most control. Not because we're control freaks, but that way, your shop guys, <laughs> who and I think Pocket is like burdened by by having a, a you know a paste up shop, or or eventually you know uh, digital layout people. Yeah. But that's why the books all look so. That's why my book, you know, it's all like column. It's like I don't know if you guys go back to PageMaker, the old original PageMaker. On it was kind of like pour your text in, you know, stick your pictures in, and then pour your text in in two columns or yeah. three columns. That's the way I did my when I would do my con- concordances, you know, in the art. Like in, but this was eighty-seven, 80, eighty-nine. It was like stick your art in, and then pour your text in, and then stick your letters. The you know the A section, the B section, the C, the D's. And then stick in your art when it needed to. I had like ten or twelve illustrations to stick in the columns to break up the pages. But it was like pour that text in and just let it go through the column template. And that's basically what all the you know books were. And Mike and Rick were so uh, Mike, Mike and Denise and Doug with the encyclopedia especially. You have those staggered you know where they follow a ship. You can have a ship bigger because it follows the outline of the ship or the you know whatever yeah. the thing the prop. They they did those pages themselves and they could. Lay them out, cram the information, and update them until the last possible second, because they're 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 working on the show, right? Mm-hmm. And those were all the but they held control of the pages so that then it was like, okay, here's the PDFs or whatever it was file. Now go and bang it and, and print it, you know. And Jeff with the book in O three did the same thing. He did all those in you know Illustrator, I guess. And it was like his deal was, I'm going to deliver this to you ready to go. So he had, like, the ultimate control over everything and his things – so he had, like, last-minute changes, and he could tweak it and make sure that there wasn't a middleman, i.e. the traditional way of doing books. There wasn't a middleman, and it's not like he could, like, bop down and look over the guy's shoulder or girl's shoulder, you know, L.A. to New York. So the original Star Trek Star Charts book in 03 was, um, like, was his files and his, his baby, and that was based on, you know, Mike's – quadrant system and all this stuff had come along since those 1980 maps obviously when Mike invented the quadrant system for the price what people didn't know what was so cool about having the tech manuals from the third season, fourth season before the tech manual was out in pro thing was there was a lot more detail on the in-house one than they put in the published one. There were a lot of things they hung back on just because they knew that within a year or two the show writers might change something or add to it and they didn't want everybody buying the book to go hey, uh... This is over here, not over here. Warp 7 is this, not this. (laughs) You know, it's like, yes, we know, because that was printed on hard paper in 1992, and you're looking at it two years later, and the show is an evolving organic thing. You know, so some stuff they hung back on and didn't stick in the pro version, but I had it. And one of those was where the Romulans and Klingons and Cardassians were on the grid map. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's in the tech man. I think they finally put a very basic, here's how we get the Alpha, Delta, Gamma, Beta quadrants. And... But I knew where they were. So as they were they, – for a long time, they actually tried to make – as they, they brought the Cardass- – the wounded, and they're talking about the Cardassians, and they're talking about bopping around sector this, 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 and this, this, this. They were really trying to keep a sector number system going at the beginning. It's like the room numbers on the Enterprise with that axis, the two axes and the number things. The first two or three years, Mike really tried – to make the rooms make sense Where they were supposed to be On the overall thing of the ship And then after three or four years Even he had to kind of give up And back off of the fact That he ever tried to do it In the first place Because they couldn't keep up That intensity You mm-hmm. know Or something would have to be done In five seconds And there wasn't time To sit and plot Where it had to be Because they had to film The damn scene mm-hmm. Oh no We've decided right now To just throw another sticker up there Mike doesn't matter Just throw another sticker up there It's like I'm sorry Fourteen people Anal people With their forehead VCRs <laughs> Are going to frame You know Forget HD and Blu-ray Coming in 20 years Oh my god You know so, uh, so, yeah, so Jeff handed in his pages, did that, took it from the evolution of Mike's grid through what fans had done who were in the know, knowing where things were. So, this whole thing of memory alpha and the you no know, one ever said the Klingons and Romulans are in the beta quadrant, where does that come from? The chart that we see at the end of Remick's head blowing up in Coming of Age doesn't have any, des- you know, that's all the alpha, and they're hung up on this thing. Where the whole- and it, so, Jeff. In Voyager is putting the galaxy up there with the the quadrants showing the jaggedy line. And, you know, everybody – there were two major shortcuts, right? Everybody goes on Voyager. You know when they leave the delta quadrant, they're not in the alpha quadrant because Earth's all is the boundary line. So they're going to, like, cross the beta quadrant before they get the alpha quadrant unless they go like a big hook for some stupid reason and go way out of their way around the galactic center to come in – those are the Gamma and come into the Alpha directly. But that's done. The shortest line is Gamma, cut the corner of the Beta and hit Earth. If you're talking about, you know. But that was, oh, that's too complicated. We're not gonna. So they never talked about the end of Voyager cutting across the corner of the Beta Quadrant. Same way as in Dominion War in DS9. They never talked about the Alpha-Beta Quadrant powers. The Dominion would say, oh, we hate the Alpha Quadrant powers. They're not to be trusted. And and people would say, see, see, the Klingons and Romulans can't be uh, in the Beta Quadrant because they're the Alpha Quadrant powers. And it's like, well, that's a sh- like a shorthand, and it's the Dominion saying it, and if our people say it, it's just echoing that. And, it's just, <laughs> oh and, like, and Ira and Ron and Renee, they all go, we know, but if we clunk up all the dialogue, every time somebody says to say, well, you know, the Alpha, Beta, Quadrant pa-, they just say the Homeworlds, or us, or us guys, or something. It's like, it becomes ridiculous, so... That was this big argument. So one of the things which made me mad, I go, "It's look, it's on canon. It's it's on the screen. Go back and look at places. Why they were so hung up on this? Because canon evolves. We all know things that were said a certain way. You know, USPA and United Earth Space Probe Agency became Starfleet, and now we try to find the cute reason for what USPA was. I mean, things evolve, and they're so hung up on this. And I love. All my Memory Alpha peeps, and I love everybody at Memory Alpha to pieces, but I don't understand why they're so hung up on this when he evolved. So part of cartography was, in certain places, especially the Dominion War section, addressing that on the nose, and not only just saying, not just saying it abruptly, but saying, hmm, and there have been some misnomers over the year, and here's how this happened, and, you know. So if nothing else, guys, nothing else what my contribution to this was above taking Jeff's thing... To the format that that Becker Mayer and and uh, 47 North and CBS came to me with, and says we're going to do these maps, and have them be different eras. And here's our suggestions. What do you think? And me kind of basically coming back at them, and you know, and then going. And the guidebook, the guidebook was like going to be an afterthought. Oh, the guidebook was going to be my main thing, and the maps were going to be done by different artists. Well, the different artists wound up being three. And the three became Jeff on the Kitchen Sink National Geographic one at the end and then Ali and Ian dividing up the other two. The real ones, the, the modern quote-unquote ones and the alien quote-unquote ones. And the book was supposed to be my main thing that I got paid seven-eighths of my money for. And then toward the end, they were like, "Can you oversee the maps? I'm like, well, that makes sense, yeah. Editorially, guys, I was wondering how that was going to interface because they had to match up. And they I didn't know who was going to Make sure everything made sense. The artists are great artists, but none of them... Was, I mean, Jeff was fine. But Ali and Ian aren't Trek fans to the nth degree. They weren't going to know what to put where and what to call it, you know, and have what the concept would be. Oh, it's the Eve of Organia? Well, then it should be like this on the I, Klingon map, you know? I
1: think it's darling that you didn't know who would make sure that it made sense. <laughs> no, no. Because obviously didn't either. it would be they, you. No, here's obviously. the thing. They came
2: back to me and said, um, <laughs> we... Realize that we need you to like editorially oversee the maps themselves, aside from the book. So here's some extra money, and I went okay. But the maps are what was like. It's like I got seven eighths of the money I got paid was for technically the book, but seven eighths of the time went into the maps. Which you look yeah. at, and you go, well, yeah, duh. But <laughs> you know, and again, this was like a three-four month project, you know, because it had to be. It was for Christmas, and it was going to be printed in China and so it had to be done by may to get back in time for christmas season only you know to be sold december 6th or whatever the debut day was so we had like december to march april and it stretched out more just because we didn't have as many artists involved as they thought so the guys so Allie and ian were like stacked up you know <laughs> they could only do so much at a time it wasn't like eight people each doing a map apiece. piece it was like them doing four and five a piece um Still and anyway, good. it was just it was just uh, you know so yeah so the maps wound up being the lion's share of the time, and I think it kind of got uh, my uh, you know bless our Dana, my editor. I, I made sure that things weren't my and I I hope to God I didn't slow any of the process down at all. But we were just spinning our not spinning our – we were you know dancing as fast as we could, and John at CBS it was it they were everything was like looking to me and there were times when you would legitimately have an idea and go. We can go with this or we can go with this. What should you guys want to do? And they're like – you know, John would say, well, maybe we should – we had a couple – we had two all-in-the-same-room meetings, one in Seattle, with me with them, and then one in L.A. Actually, two in L.A. A kickoff one and then uh, uh, like near the end of the thing. And um, But a lot of the times it was just up to, okay, Larry, best guess, which – you know, I knew the two main things were update enterprise, which mainly was the Zindi, was the expanse. Mm. Uh, the delphic expanse and how are we going to handle the prime parts of jj's movie and you know the hobus which mainly was the hobus supernova and thank god for the comics for giving us some stuff that made sense and oh it's a subspace supernova oh it's a subspace shockwave supernova thank you <laughs> that's helping a whole lot you know and what was the name of the star? B- oh, Hobus. That's from the comic, right? So anyway, so – and then we thought, well, if we do that, we can't do all the pretty normal Romulan stuff that we know it from. So we made the, the conceit that this is um, – this was all done, assembled right before – when you live in a world like 21st century where it's – things are holographic and you have digital files, having it be a 2D thing on paper is kind of an odd thing anyway. So we kind of – there was originally a lot more in-world – Kind of like with the original tech manual when they explain it by saying that this is the outgrowth of tomorrow's yesterday, and these were some files downloaded at the omaha the was the uh, the the, uh, the Omaha you know air base you know yeah. Mc, uh, not, McKinley rocket base in, in the, yesterday in Simon Earth and then the the you know this was some stuff that slipped through then and was leaked out, and the u s air Force is denying it oh no, no UFO, no UFO, and that was the cute little entry thing to the original tech manual that may have been lost to time now. But um, we were trying to come up with that. These are the most requested top ten maps that people request or they want to view when they come to Memory Alpha and they <laughs> go through the public wing. But each map has a little st- – yeah, that was totally me coming up with like little homage name, my family and friends. And if you look at the maps – I don't know if anybody even noticed this, but if you look at the little tag, like everything else was supposed to be the way the map was – Either as a two d object like the ancient Vulcan you know or whatever, or this is the basic file if you output it to a two d surface you know mm-hmm. why why in twenty three eighty seven you'd want to do that or whatever but and with the tag the only thing uniform is here's our little memory alpha tag over here in the lower left hand corner, and when you see that, you know saying where it came from and kind of like the basic tag of all the people in those things are either kind of like I did on the on the things I did that are now infamous from the Picard family album. About the Roman War and Battle mm-hmm. of Charon. but um, they're either that or there's a shout out to Franz Joseph and a, f- a shout out to my friend Kevin who who did, does all my artwork and Legos and things. So I was hoping could do a map, but they just decided to keep it to the two people they'd worked with before. So, so guy, you know, I I know I've talked about this. I guess I haven't talked about the maps with you guys, but um,
0: oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I, I know that you did that episode with uh, literary treks and everything like that, where a lot of people can find some info. Um, I guess my, my one question would be, which I think both of us have, you know, cause we talked about it a lot on the episode too, but I was thinking about it even while reading it, how much of that stuff did you have to look up when you were writing it? And how much did you know off the top of your head? Because there's a lot of like really seemingly obscure, um, uh, Star Trek. I don't know if a lot is the word. I think you're mean... All of the information. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's so dense, and there's so many things where it's like, what? Oh, yeah, that's, did he know that? Or did he look that up? We, I
1: think we both kind of <laughs> assumed that you knew it all, yeah. and the only reason you have materials on hand is just to confirm that you were right.
0: Right. It's like my uncle; he's a reference librarian, and there's lots of times where people come in and say, "I need to know the answer to this," and he's like, "I think it I was 1862,"
1: but I'm going to go look it up no, for six even, days and then like, confirm it.
0: He's like, "I know what it is now. I need to find a source." Yeah. You know, <laughs> I get the impression that's what it was like when you were writing this thing.
1: Well,
2: that's <laughs> what. Yeah, that's what doing the concordances. Even though I never got the DS9s and Enterprise and Voyagers finished, finished. But that's what doing the concordances and writing, working fact files <laughs> for six years, and doing show notes for two or three after that. But a lot of it is is getting out of the episodes as episodes and standing back. That's what I always like to do. It's like take these dots and connect them among mm-hmm. you know within yes. a series and series to series. It's like the other day. I mean I had gone back and, and it's what I was doing as I was doing Concordance, like the I mean I don't know who else did this, but if you were back in the day, after all the talk about what's the dating system and I don't mean, you know, geek speed dating. I mean the dating <laughs> system like all the talk about how was where was the original series actually? what people forget now but if nothing else if nothing else when the neutral zone aired at the end of first season of Next Generation, and you had survived that first season hanging in with the show.
1: Survived is a good word choice.
2: Yes. And when you felt like you were being vindicated, because look, look, this show Allegiance, I mean Conspiracy, Conspiracy, and then this, oh my God, it's Romulans, and it's at the Neutral Zone, and they're talking about the outposts. When Allegiance, the last, at the end, and, um, I mean, I keep saying it, Conspiracy and, and Neutral Zone aired. And the stories were better, and they were they were actually like all the stuff they ran away from. You know, now we know, but when they ran away from having romans and Klingons and Vulcan, because they didn't want to copy of the original series, and they wanted to stand alone. You know, and all this stuff, and the Ferengi didn't work out. You know, all these different things, but it was like there was a determination made, and maybe it was because Maury Hurley had settled in as the showrunner. Or whatever. I, I would look at the credits and say, oh, look, this Hannah-Louise Shearer and this Tracy Torme, they're new writers in the credits. That must be why the shows are getting better. They've got – you know it's like they're in the shows because that's what was airing when they, – they've been there for three months already. That's just what was airing when they had time to stick their names on the credits at the end. <laughs> but when those shows came around, you were like, ooh, this is starting to feel like there's some guts here and some meat here. So you're watching already feeling good and feeling like, OK, we're going to come out of this season – strong and I can't wait for the next year and you're watching Coming of Age and Data says when they when they fall out the pod people and they say why, what year is it? And Data says why, it's the Earth year 2364. I fell off my chair 47 <laughs> times. It's like, <laughs> they just put the, oh, well, okay, okay. So all the stuff that was in-house and secret, but when you'd read the press stuff, they didn't say next gen is 80 years past, you know uh the time of kirk they would say next generation is 78 years past the time of kirk mm-hmm. and spock very precise you know yeah not 74 <laughs> but 78 <laughs> and i go the first thing i did was go okay so twenty-three, sixty-four. minus okay 78 <laughs> that's okay that's uh that's 2286 okay or whatever it is oh Oh, the paper in Star Trek IV, when they look at the newsstand, was from the year. And, okay, so 2, 3, and 4 are supposed to be a trilogy. Okay, and my mind was often running, going, but that's what would always, you know. So, so from then on, the concordance, anytime anybody would say, "As I was governor of this planet for eight years ago, I would go, I would, if you look at my early concordances, everything would say, or, 23, blah, 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 reckoned by N.Z., because I would doing like Bijou did and have a little two letter abbreviation. Except Bijou's was all capitals and mine for Next Gen were all little letters. So you could tell them apart. <laughs> like, who knew there'd be four more series and this would get ridiculous soon? And everybody would start using, you know, like, episode numbers and then season episode numbers. So everything in those first, you know, or they would say, oh, the Charybdis, you know, and up the long letters you know, this year and blah, blah. Anytime there was any kind of age or date reckoning, I would say, or 23, blah, 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 reckoned by NZ. You know, it would always yeah. refer back to that. Because that was like that was just like the slap in the face for the good. It was like, Oh my god, they finally now, a year or two or three later I go, That's Mike Akuda doing that. Mm-hmm. That's Mike Akuda doing that in house, keeping things whether they, they they're paying him and you look at the end, oh technical consultant, Mike Akuta, technical consultant Rick Sternbach. That's what they're doing besides their art job. They're the fan who's the fly on the wall that they gave a keyboard to. <laughs> you know, it's like, thank God. And then it was like, that's where all the cool little graphic-y stuff is coming from, the in-house stuff, you know. And and so that was like, oh, my God, okay. Someone is actually on the inside trying to fix the <laughs> wacky stuff that no one thought about or they tried to and didn't realize that would get overwhelming on the original series.
1: I like know? to think of him as like a sleeper cell.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like yes. we, have, we have someone on the inside. completely, <laughs> And
2: yeah. someday... They will say on the side, but there were times when they got called on the carpet, at times about it, or just kind of like, "Really, guys? Really?" You know, kind of stuff. Yeah. But with, that's a whole—you could do a whole book. So anyway, so I just so when that happened, it was like, "Yes, yes!" So I just started paying attention to that. And anyway, so all the stuff I had written for years had that. So yeah, when when I had to do stellar cartography, I'd work with you know. And i'd work with with Jeff, and I wrote the chapter intros was my main contribution to his book, but everybody was screaming because it's book pages right but that's all pocket was locked into being able to do nobody you know there were two fold you know those foldouts at the back which were oh this is so out of the box, but even then there was like a fourth of the whole thing and <laughs> since then people like scanned those and merged them as a one big digital file right and you could see the seams except jeff had had printed some of those, and I, he gave me one of them. So I had, like, that thing all these years up in front. But um, it, that's what drove people crazy. And there's no index? No, there's no index. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but one of the big things we tried to do was, at least on the alpha-beta maps, the known space alpha-beta map, we did a letter-number combination key along the sides.
0: Okay. Yeah.
2: With the index, so that you can actually go. It's not horribly detailed, but there's, like, 50 or 60 on each one, When you look in the key down there, it actually says what's Federation or what's not, and then it has like A seven, B two, D six, you know, and of course D seven, you know. So there's actually (laughs) a key in there. So because what do I do? I (laughs) wanna, what I wanna know something? What? Oh, (laughs) sorry, D seven,
0: the uh, Klingon. Yeah, I don't think it's in there.
2: (laughs) I don't think somebody cannon. What happened? So, um, because one of the things that got to me was, and here's where I say God bless. Memory Alpha, because they actually went through and would note you'd look up a star and they'd say, well, in the famous chart from from uh, conspiracy, this is Alpha in the Alpha Fighter, but star charts, star charts, star charts says that you know Doodleberg Star is in the Beta Quadrant, on page blah blah, and literally while I was working on this, if I wanted to know if I'm looking through, because we would make blowups and things of Jeffs and work from those. Mm-hmm. I've got huge. I mean, we actually made like five times bigger things, where it's like ridiculous. But we would take the. I say, "Here's what we want as a base. Here's your artist reference. Take this, crop it, and then they would. St- and then I would like hand write, <laughs> hand write on those big ones. Our first pass was taking those, blowing them up, and I would write a ton of things, and then they would transfer it, and we and then we would come up with our first approach, right, on the on the normal ones, and then the art, the alien ones were take it and then put an alien layer, and then go from there. But the first pass was just getting the scale and the scope, and what, what are we framing here? And um, on paper, in huge roll-up tubes that weighed f- five or six pounds. And um, um, I needed to know where things were, where to go to in the book. And I was, wh- I was going to Memory Alpha to see what page they said it was on, to go back and find it if I was in a hurry, and it was an obscure store, because there's no index in the damn thing. <laughs> so one <laughs> of the things we were doing was trying to give everybody, you know, at least a kind of an index there where it made sense to do. But what was sad was, again, poor Ian. We did that, and he did a grid system, right? So he, it wasn't just here's letters and numbers with like little triangles, and you kind of like find your way across. He did hardcore lines. And we're like at the last stage of the thing, and I went, wait a minute. These look like sectors, and a sector is 20 by 20, right? Or 10 by 10, right? Or whatever. 10 by 10, yeah. 10 by 10 or 20 by 20? See? I don't know everything off the top of my head. Anyway, in Jeff's
1: system... Dude, I don't even know what you're talking about, bro.
2: In Jeff's system, a, for, a sector is formally defined as... You can cut this, right? Sure. No. A, a sector no. is formally defined as <laughs> 10 by 10 or 20 by 20. Anyway, my point is, the way Ian had drawn hard lines on this thing, it made them look like they were sectors. And I was like, oh, no. And we are like at the next to the last pass. And and Ooh. he'd set the letters and the number so our letter number key that was our big gift to everybody for sanity's sake was like, Oh no, all everybody's gonna go, Wait a minute, these sectors are like Seven and three eighths by seven and three eighths—they're not ten by ten light years, and you because know, there's a scale down here. But they're like, "What are you drawing <laughs> oh these God. sectors?" And there's a weird number. What are these squares—they don't make. And I was like, "Oh, guys, we have to like change the grid. We have to like rejigger the letters and number grid and make these twenty. If we are gonna draw a hard line, and it's like, I'm not gonna do that, 'cause it would like, it would like almost like digitally ripping it up and starting over in a way, or a huge chunk of time. And I'm like, we
1: we have to do something now i got to open this thing up and look at it cuz I'm, I'm, i don't, I, I, don't I, I don't i that doesn't seem like a problem to me so, so. we've
2: had people <laughs> so we had like a compromise number and i can't remember now what it was but it's not they're not the classic definition of a you're like I, you're really like going to make me grab my star charts book and look it up anyway it's it's on on jeff's chart it's there of course number 10 cuz that's why else would you draw grids on a map if you're not doing sectors and you're Co- not doing, you know.
1: I mean, X, Y coordinates, I mean, you got to, I mean, like, no matter what the scale if, is, is, you still got to know where you are are drawing, like, in a, it.
2: a continuous tic-tac-toe board there, they're obviously sectors. They're not, you know. Anyway. Yeah. So we came to a compromise <laughs> number when it was at least a round number. It wasn't, like, you know, a fraction or something goofy. But I already saw at least one or two reviews where they said, and what's with the sectors on the Alpha and Beta quadrants? They're not 10 by 10 sectors or something. And I was like, I know, I know, I don't want
1: to. Nerds. It's just
2: one of those weird <laughs> things that felt, well, but see, <laughs> you know, you know the story of the prison camp line in, in DS9 on the Dominion prison camp show, the oh. two-parter. Oh,
0: uh, I'm i not sure. Think so. What's what's the story? What's that?
2: The story with this is I'm sitting in Janet's office reading the draft for the one where Garrick and Wharf are kidnapped, right? Mm-hmm. And you basically the Dominion captures them. They wind up on a on a Dominion prison camp, and you find out that Martok, not Galaron, but it's Martok who was the changeling mm. because here's captured Martok here. And uh and I'm reading along, and I go, wait a minute, there's. I mean, there's, there's Martok and there's Worf. Why have they not tried to kill themselves in captivity? And I, I just remember I looked up and I said that out loud. And, uh, and this, was a, this was a story that uh, – who did it? it? Ira and Wolf and – Robert Wolf or Ira and Hans. It was whoever, was whoever was Ira's writing partner at the time. It wasn't Ron's, Ron Moore's script. And it was a two-parter. And I looked up and I go, why aren't they trying to kill themselves? And Janet looked over and she said, oh, Larry, stop being such an anal fan. And I went okay <laughs> but it's kind of like Bashed you over the head that Klingons would kill Themselves or take him prisoner So two or three days ago I go okay It's just one more thing where they're going to say they've lost touch With canon and this is like mid night. so three or four days later Janet comes home and goes Larry what was The episode that uh, everybody Went on and on about Klingons killing? I said what, birthright one and two two parts <laughs> And she's like okay So the next day she comes home and he goes Here's two birthright scripts Um I just happened to mention, like, Ron came in to get his mail, and I happened to mention that about he might want to take a look at the script that Iron were working on. Oh boy. Now, this is not, you know, and he's like, oh, okay. And he, she says, they have Klingons captured, but they're not trying to kill themselves. And he just kind of, like, looked at her wide-eyed <laughs> and went on. <laughs> but this is how you do things in channels. Versus standing up and going, hey, you, you, you did that whole two-part show, and you didn't have the Klingons killing themselves. And this is the way it would. do – This is why, if you have your show staff right, even future TV Star Trek, you can handle this crap. Okay, you have your, you have your Supreme Court of people helping you. So the next day, Janet comes home and throws me a, a vanilla envelope. She goes, "There's two Birthright scripts. Can you tag every time in Birthright they mention the fact that Klingons kill themselves when they're taken prisoner?" I went, "Okay." So. I sat down, and like the little, you know, like the little clear tags, you say, sign here, you know, kind of things, posted yeah. things. Yeah. Act
1: one, act so two, act three.
2: I finished most. Of, well, they're like a quarter inch thick. They're like 60 pages, 70 pages. So I did, and each one has like, you know, 15 tags on it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I took those back, and, you know, did that. Janet just left that sitting on Ron's little mail slot. It was gone. Two or three days later, she said, uh, here's a new draft on... On Die Cast and whatever, whatever it was. Uh, you might want to take a, you know, Fire in the Glory, where it was called. Darkness in the Light, maybe, whatever. She's like, uh, I, I, sorry, everybody. I'm, see, I'm not knowing those episodes. Rath. I don't do Star Trek every single day for pay anymore, so sorry. <laughs> I have to research a little bit. But it's the two-parter DS9 of the Dominion camp labor camp. So I come home, and all they had to do was to have Garak, which makes total sense, go, hey, wait a minute. I thought Klingons killed themselves when they're taken into captivity, and Worf, say, Worf and Martok each have a line, and they look at him, and one of them says, um, uh, "Not when there's still hope of escape," and he says, "And not when there are still battles to be fought," and that's all it took. You now know. think how much, how much fanboy grief was say, and you know, you can say, "Oh, anal fans." But if they did not, if Jean and Dorothy and Jean didn't start trying, and Bob Justman didn't start trying to do that, and failing at times in the overwhelm. But if they didn't try to start doing that on the original series, would any of us be sitting here doing this right now?
0: Well, no, and that's what we love about it, and you know that's what you know the the it's so great about like the yeah. encyclopedia and everything, and everyone has their little thing. Like even, I mean, <laughs> we were just talking about how. Uh, Chris made a logo, a new logo for our show. And it's oh, the most God. amazing logo I've ever seen. He he obviously gave us the best logo out of all the shows. <laughs> but, but it's got a film strip with some numbers on it. Okay, and I, being, I am not
1: happy about this.
0: <laughs> this being, is the thing. Being projectionists, I looked, both Max and I looked at it and we're like, the numbers are upside down. <laughs> and we're like, hey, Chris, how hard would it be to change this? And he's like... It would be really freaking hard. <laughs> it's not <happening. laughs> so. Yeah, I mean that that type of thing happens. So I totally Buried understand why your 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 um you know your sector numbers are are a big deal you know i'll be honest i, totally I saw it. it i knew something well, was see, wrong i didn't want to know <laughs> i felt
1: part it wasn't with like myself.
2: take the lines out and redraw them if you did that it means then we'd have to like rejigger the the, the, the letters across the top wouldn't go a through s they'd go a through k which means we would have to come back and put new little index numbers at the back of you know what I'm saying mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like if you made the grids to what you know 10 by 10 or 20 by. i think it's 20 by 20 he said jumping off a cliff <laughs> um, which would make more sense it would be a bigger square so if you if you rejiggered the grid to 20 by 20 you would have to redo the numbers in the in the letter key and then you would have to come back to all those 60 stars and and double check and make sure you'd gotten a new thing for them you know yeah. so it was like a yeah. three step process you'd have to do and we were like you know this was already oh you know september and we were supposed to be done by may or something so <laughs> okay so i've got like an and.
1: idea for your next book here's what you do if it's in universe just have one of your researchers be credited as Q so that any errors can be corrected by him by making them fact. Oh, okay. Go. Just, there do you a, go. S-
2: just do a finger snap. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, then we did the whole thing, and then, since we had used Jeff's as a starter, and I always want to say that, it, you know that wrote the book. We didn't have to reinvent the wheel as
0: yeah. far
2: as where things were. We had to add all the new stuff. There were some things to fix, and there's one thing that Jeff got wrong because um, they goofed up <laughs> Dominion War, uh, AR-558, um, <laughs> when when Doug or Mike River did those big wall charts they would have on the... They have, like, AR-558 was supposed to be within the Chintaka system, and there's two or three maps where it's like, oh, it's out here beyond, beyond Antares. No, it's out here beyond the Ferengis or something. There's, like, there's one map where there's, like, two different things on one map. So Jeff has two different AR-558s on this map, and it's kind of <laughs> like anybody else that's looking at it going... Well, duh! This is hard. This is really rocket science. You've got two of the same thing here. So we fixed it, and you know, we we did some some things there. And there was a lot of things that could be adjusted and stuff. But the Dominion War geography, in particular, and if nothing else, this is where I I don't know if it just hasn't got down to that level of nerddom and analness or whatever. But because uh, DS9 is now in a rebirth, and there's tons more fans of DS9 now than there were, so maybe this will come to pass. But of all the parts of the book, the, the and thank you for saying the book was dense because I think people tend to look at it and go, "These maps are gorgeous, and what's this stinky little kids' book over here for?" Because they look at it and it's like, well, "Is this a little engine that could book? Is this you know wh- what is this? Why is this thing a why did you bother to put this in here? Much less put it in hardback, you know, kind of a thing." <laughs>
1: It doesn't but read dense. It's just, it just just has tons of data that
2: tons of data in. It. Yeah, thank you for it. Just re- it well, flows. It
1: flows. I but like, wrote as that a nerd, insanely. Like, How does yeah. he know this?
2: Well, the maps wound up squeezing, like expanding in time so much that they squeeze. The... it's like at one point it's like, I really am going to sit down and start writing the book. And in on one hand it's like, look, it's like two, three. It's like so many hundred words per chart. It's not that many words. But all I did was just sit down and write what needed to be said about that one, and some of them it was about that. Some of them it was like twice as much material as ought to be there. But the bottom line was that I was writing it like like just sit down, and we we're up against a deadline now because part of me knew that – learned the lesson on the Companion. <laughs> the maps, it's a map set, so people are going to focus on the maps. People are going to love or hate the maps. The maps are what's going to be the selling point of this. It's what's cool. It's what's out of the box. It's why Becker Mayer was doing it for Amazon. It's not just another book. That said, I knew in my heart of hearts that the book would still be on people's shelves and would and be there. But the maps stole the lion's share of the time when I got seven-eighths of what I was technically paid for was the book. <laughs> but when I got the book, I had to do it, and it was like – I thought I was under the gun for the companions and things. Um <laughs> that was insane and the chapters that and some of it was like I'm just writing I got into the right voice and I'm just going and here it is and we'll cut it down and I and I hated to do this to dump on poor Dana about cuz she knew some, she knew Star Trek and she had learned working on David Goodman's The Federation 150 Years book yeah. but she you know they they turned it over and had Paula Block who was still doing freelance on the on the novels Paula did a did a a severe edit where it needed because each one was a new section so one could be okay and the next one could be severely needed whatever and she did a wonderful pass through at the time I was like oh Jesus Christ I'm so insignificant and horrible person because I'm not editing. I should have done this myself but the time cool. was ticking yeah. and I should have done it right the first and the maps are what was going to be in everybody's face and had the attention and that's what was like soaking up time and somewhere along the way at the very 11th hour I kept finding these stars that weren't in Jeff's book after i would track down what the coordinate was finally on memory <laughs> alpha cuz there's no index and i kept saying where's the where's the where's the doomsday machine in l374 and l370 okay. you know what and it's, it's like i don't jeff i don't see it on your original stuff i've found a place that makes sense okay cuz it's not tied into anything and where's the space going amoeba with gamma 7a because they do mention the um malurian system and the malurian system is got a real has a real tie in real astronomy Oh, yeah, put that in. Okay. You know? And at, at, at some all point, kinds of stuff. At, huh? at
0: some point, was someone like, uh, someone must have deleted the star from the uh, Jedi archives? Well, part of or? what it was is... No?
2: Well, some of what it was was his original thing he did, he had everything. But if it was like off the grid and it didn't wind up on an inset mat, it got left out. Mm-hmm. Which is what I found out later on when somebody <laughs> wrote me. when they first came out, somebody said, somebody who's a huge piece of the action fan goes, uh, Larry, where's, where's Sigma Osha? And the oceans you know that obscure show called piece of the action and I'm like oh it's right wait oh shit we left it off where did Jeff have it oh shit <laughs> Jeff left it off too And that's yeah. a fun show and I started so I went to the end of the show and I started going back there are like like, like three fourths of the third season and when I say the third season you can tell I'm using capital letters so I mean the original series because that's how we talked about it for 20 years like, three-fourths of the original season stars aren't on my maps because Jeff didn't have them. Because we were taking the charts and going from it. And yeah. I'm like, really, guys? Really? I mean, unless it was an astronomical thing or had been mentioned already from an earlier thing. I was like, really? I mean, that just kills me. So when P- so I came out right up front and I said, guys, please help me start a list of what's not here so when we do the next one... <laughs> <laughs> we'll get them in. So I tried to turn it around and say, you know, I should start a website. I sh- I should do. That's what um, Mike and Denise did that with the encyclopedia. I mean, something this dense and huge and thick, you're bound to have that anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. There should be. I a just wiki.
2: hate it there's like an easily definable block of. Oh, there's a lot. I started going backing up. You know, through all the late shows, Camus too. Oh, Camus is in there because some of it. It's like the the turnabout intruder stuff is in there because Beta Aurigae is a real star. And so all those things got located kind of quasi-close in. But the, you know the things from, yesterday, from uh, all our yesterdays, Sandara, and some of those things, and I started backing up to the third season. Oh, they're not here. Okay, well, we'll get them next time. We'll get them next time, guys. I'm sorry. We got the fucking Zindi Expanse, Delphic Expanse in there figured out, you know? <laughs> that it made no sense the way they described it being 2,000 light years long and in between Earth and... I'm sorry, what are we, like in hour 92 here, hour 47?
0: Well, I think probably what we'll end up doing is splitting this up into a two-parter. We're going we're gonna to best of both worlds this thing, but... Uh, <laughs> um,
2: I forgot to say Mr. Warfire. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay, we can add it in, uh, in post. Um, okay, uh, stellar cartography, it seems pretty well covered. Is there any, anything else on stellar cartography that you want to...
2: Just that I appreciate – I'm hoping maybe now that the pretty maps have gotten everything, as they should.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, again, that same vein of – one of the discovery things about this when we were trying to have different artists do the maps was I thought, well, let's look out in fandom and see what great you know, fandom or, or semi-professional artists are out there and give them a shot here. And I went looking, and I was – and especially – well, there will be a dime a dozen Klingons because Klingon fandom is so huge. But let's find those obscure Romulan and Cardet, because this is the era of the internet and everything. And it's, this stuff is twenty years old and thirty years old, and everybody's out there. And, everybody, and I started looking online anyway, and I couldn't find anybody. So one of the things, aside from hey, send me the star that's either we need to fix or is not there, is I just want to start getting a Rolodex. That's a term <laughs> from the seventies, guys. I just want to start getting a database of fan artists who, like, are culture fans. Mm-hmm. Who they're really yeah. like a big Cardassian fan and they're an artist. Or they're a big Romulan fan and they're an artist. Because they ran into this with, the, um, with, with David's Federation 150 book. I found that in hindsight. You go back and look at the – when they would try to do the graphics, there's no like reference graphics. I mean at the 11th hour we were doing the Romulan map and I'm like there's no Romulan iconography. Iconography? Iconography. And then like at the 11th hour I went – I told – I was like, Allie, the carpet map. And they're like, everybody's like, "What?" And then John's like, "Oh, the carpet map in that, you know, every every Star Trek, no matter how much somebody may hate, hey, and the children shall lead has the Federation pennant.
1: You know, (laughs) it's like, oh,
2: Nemesis, the Romulan Senate floor carpet with the you have a Romulan map on the floor that Rick Sternbach did. So we went to that. Got I went back and got my file that Rick had given me in you know O two or whatever. And I'm like, look, look, they've got they've got one icon for star bases and one for stars, and they've got a different one for the Federation and a different one for their homes. Yay! We've got Romulan map iconography from Rick's carpet from O2. So they were like, Oh this is cool and it looked like nothing else and nobody, you know. So we had little little victories like that and little but that's the way it was, only it was like a compressed time frame and stuff. And but my bottom line there was I was just shocked to figure out that there weren't like there weren't Facebook groups of, <laughs> of Romulan artists and Cardassian artists and Vulcan – ancient Vulcan artists, I, especially Vulcan yeah, I you know, from the 70s. I would have thought yeah. there had been a and I bet there were probably more in the 70s and they've all mm-hmm.
0: – all the
2: women have died off by now. But, but um, you know, so I was disappointed that I f- – people – I hate to say this, but I'm – again, it's like you're talking about the creator is the one that's the most aggrieved and everybody else loves it. And you hate to even put this out there. But I really – and, and Ali and Ian did you know amazing jobs. And the Vulcan map really is out there. It really is alien-ish looking mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what way to go. But I guess I was really surprised that I wish we could have found people who did that and Cardassian stuff. And, of course, Cardassian probably is the thing we have the most graphic images of because we have DS9s. But we could have pushed the envelope or found things that existed and, and incorporated them and maybe even employed somebody. Mm-hmm. But incorporated those things out there and built and kept this merging, which, you know, Jeff's original fan maps, some people had done some groundwork uh, research into how things would fit together given the basic quadrant map, and that the Klingons and Romans are over here and the Cardassians and Bajorans are over here. And given that, um, uh, some of the fans that had done things online that he took from and then added a whole new layer to and then and credited them. And that's kind of what we're doing. It's, it's Jeff's and all those people's thing, and then we've introduced all these different, from the standpoint of times in history and alien viewpoints, and you know, alien personality and whatever. So that's what this brought to it. And then what I knew in my heart would be is, well, if you're writing about all these maps, you're not just saying, you you know, it's in universe. So what you're talking about the book being dense is here's my chance over 10 15 20 years of all the things that would pop up when i would answer a question in the titan you know my little column in titan magazine or i there'd be some fan debate and i would come up with a canon massage that would make everybody happy you know my list of 14 or 15,000 of those that are like little stray things here's a chance in a lot of ways to pull them all together and put them down in one place led by number 1 what the hell was the big thing with the Dominion War? Why was Earth and Vulcan always under threat when everything is happening way over here you know, by Cardassia and the, and the wormhole? And I'd come up with reasons for that. And then when I got into it and realized, oh, the Battle of Tyra was this huge, honking early defeat, and we don't know where the hell it was, except it took them a, a week or two to limp back to DS9. And I kept staring at the stupid layout of everything, and Cardassia and... and uh, And the Tholians started looking like North and South America, and the Klingon Empire is like the upper horn of North Africa, and here's the the Homeworlds, and the Romulans are like Russia behind Europe. And it was just kind of like weird, And, and here's the Ferengi hanging over here like Iceland. And I was like, "Oh!" And I'm—it's like it all starts going to World War II on me. And I'm thinking across the Atlantic, and and when the convoys coming over from the Klingons or leaving Car- Casablanca. And, anyway, it's just—it's just some of the answers I came up with. I my mind drifted because I was a big map geek and back map freak, and I love World War II and 20th century history. So. And I, this is what I was kidding with Chris about, about you know, oh here's the you know, the jet stream coming up north, but this whole thing about there was a northern front that we didn't get in on, and why, you know, uh, Beta was, was occupied, but so was one um, of the B planets, either Bolius or um, or the or the uh, bi- uh, the smoke breathers, um. Breen. No, not the brain. Uh, they were with coming of age, and they brought him back. Mordoc yeah. doc and Morlock, oh. the fish guy. Yeah, uh, one of those the, they're blue skinned. Yeah, I've got anyway. B word, uh, the Byzantines. No, anyway, one of them was occupied, and it's like, and they're close to the homeworlds, and it's like, well, what <laughs> was this about? And anyway, so what I really am proudest of in this whole thing, I think you are talking about connecting dots. There was nowhere the dot connecting happened as it did in the Dominion War, and so even even Doug and Mike, as they did the shows, were we're, we're faking, because the writers weren't, they were just telling their stories, and they're kind of <laughs> like going cross fingers, and we'll just kind of put this big splashy map on the wall and of course fanboy me, I wanted to take that map and use that as the basis for canon, and then when you start realizing that oh, you've stuck a star on here that's way down below the, this is down by folia, <laughs> and we all know it it's like in a canon point, this is down by, this is down by, you know gamma, you know, the Rathacon stars and and it's like okay, well let's make all of this work. Let's do the story the the way it has to fit the grid, but we won't call Doug and maps liars and you know goofy things because these aren't literal maps. These are maps showing places where these troops are. You know they have the big ones with the arrows, like the World War II battle maps would be. Yeah. They're not coming from that literal place. These stars are like stars that factor into the movement. Like that's where the this fleet originated or – you know, so they're on that map for a reason, but it's not a literal this is two light years over on this grid kind of thing. So once we – I did that, so I've let – and that's what Jeff did. Jeff's section on the Dominion War, he just slapped four of those charts in and went, okay, this is too big a mess for me to figure out right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just – how can you argue against the stuff that was on screen? Bang. And it still didn't solve the problem. So it was like, okay, we're going to make sense of this, guys. And uh, the northern front and Tyra being up in the North Atlantic, and that's where all that happened. And they, you know, and so that's why they pushed on beyond. The Dominion was able to push on beyond and occupy and threaten all those northern homeworld planets. And the other ones, I use the Iraq War, the the, the Persian Gulf War, when they said um, uh, the way, you know, they they fortified the line at Kuwait and the southern border. But what they really – and they thought that was where the big mother of all battles would be, and Saddam had all these guys down there. But all they did was run out the edge pivot, and they were on the big naked exposed – it's kind of like if you're playing Risk and somebody – you break through your guy's barrier. Then you've got the big naked place where they moved all their armies up to the border at Risk, yeah. and you make the big pivot. And oh, look, it's like open field running. It's like Hitler running ac- across the Ukraine, you know, the steps of Russia before he got bogged down at, at Moscow and Leningrad and, and, uh, and, Stanis- and Stanislavski and uh, Stalingrad. It's like that big uh, open area. So it's like if the Dominion can break through down here in the, in the uh, past Beta Z in that area, uh, then they've got open field running to get to the home world. So it wasn't about they're right there on their doorstep. It's like they're on the doorstep over here, but if they ever break through this wall where you know Chintaka and all that was, if they can break through that wall, then there's nothing to stop them getting over to Earth and Vulcan. And those three little Mars perimeter ships you saw in Best of Both Worlds ain't going to do it.
0: (laughs) I suppose not. Yeah. I like that.
1: It's a very soft, under-the-covers retcon. So
2: some of the stuff um, was stuff I'd come up with a long time ago. Some of the stuff was you sitting there with the thing in front of you going, oh, well, this makes sense. Because you had to explain it. It, That's what always got me was like, why? why? You know, but then – and the other thing about the whole alpha beta powers thing. All you have to say is the alpha quadrant powers was a dominion phrase. Mm-hmm. And just like in World War Two you would talk about, you know, the West, well Russia was fighting with this and I don't think anybody would call Russia the West. They're not the East. They're like
0: Yeah. They're
2: not they're not the Mid East. But anyway, they're the Slavic countries. People don't think of them as being West, but Russia got the Soviet Union got lumped in with the US and Britain as the allies against Germany and
0: yeah it's, like, per- yeah, it's perfectly reasonable short. Yeah, terms. so yeah.
2: I go through... So some of the stuff in the... So if nothing else in the book, I know you guys are just flabbergasted apparently, but a lot of those things <laughs> are just things that I've just had in my back pocket for years working on all the projects, and a lot of it... I mean, I would go like a, look up a specific date to tie it down or whatever, but a lot of it was just the way I had kind of thought about things. Yeah. But the Dominion War section especially is where I feel like I got to... If I had any... If I died tomorrow, my big contribution to Star Trek was going to be my chapter on the Dominion War.
0: Well, hey, you know, I mean, if there's a, a piece of Star Trek history which is worthy of uh, contribution, it's the Dominion War. I mean, that's a pretty epic piece of uh, and if the there, puzzle.
1: And if there's a piece that's not worthy, it's um, the Doomsday Machine. <laughs> Okay, I think you're gonna upset Excuse a lot of me? original series fans <laughs> with that one. But... The 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 geography of that episode. Let's makes try. no sense.
2: Oh, they fi- Did you see the remastered?
1: No, but did they? Wait, you fix mean the, the geography dialogue? The battle? What do you mean? Did they what do you fix mean the with the geography? dialogue in the in the in the episode where like they keep saying galaxy when they mean solar system?
2: Oh. <laughs> Don't it's the do Don't don't. I thought you were talking about the. No, when they did the remastered, they completely made the. It's okay to watch it, but they they totally choreographed the actual battle of the two ships in the Doomsday Machine. That's Man. not
1: the problem. I Pivoting. Have.
2: Okay, I get that now. I get that now. <laughs> what are you gonna do, Kirk? That thing's on the heart of the. That thing's on the way to the heart of our galaxy. What are you gonna do about it? Well, let it go there because it'll get burned up in the big fireball at the beginning. The of the, I think is that I'll what skip you're talking to the about the
1: next episode. Maybe that's <laughs> what I think I'll do. So okay,
0: don't, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know if this is that something was that...
2: said by a man who was traumatized and in shock.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, see, there's an explanation for it. And I
1: said, talk. I don't like this episode because I was traumatized oh. and in shock. <laughs>
0: You're the only one can't say that, Max. Yeah, um.
2: that's one of my two favorite shows guys, from the original series. Wow. Okay. Wow.
0: So so before this gets to any. Uh... <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, the Constellation Dirge is one of the best pieces of music ever from Miracle Series Okay
0: Well before, before Max makes Larry cry <laughs> um, Larry I don't know if you can answer this question He did but not, not, not anymore <laughs> Oh I'm sorry I just can't
2: stop riffing on Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: Are there any other uh, books on the horizon Is there anything that you're working on whether you can talk about it or not.
2: Yeah, no, not at the minute. I've, I'm afraid that our we may have had the brakes put on our great nonfiction uh, 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 comeback with the Fed 150 book and, and and this, Amazon decided they weren't gonna they were gonna back on, not just these Star Trek ones but across the board the the Star Wars and all the other non even non genre things these out of the box cool presentational things Amazon is apparently backing out of doing that because they realized even though it was. Pretty digital and pretty light footprinted they still wind up with warehouses full of organic things made from trees and and carbon <laughs> debris mm-hmm. so they're slacking back on they're cutting back on these kind of projects so the the great nonfiction boom maybe maybe at least curtailed for now whatever i don't know about some of the other publishers so um at the moment no at the moment we're in this wacky world of go do your own stuff and entrepreneur yourself and go brand yourself and and oh and technology changes every four point seven minutes so there's that too so um, so no to answer your question directly no but that doesn't mean that something might not come up the other so thing that's driving that though is the 50th anniversary is coming up that's and true, there are people yeah. screaming that we've got to have special stuff cool stuff for the 50th anniversary or we should all just you know shoot mm. ourselves and then jump out an airlock so. <laughs>
0: So 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 <laughs> what 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 else do you have uh, coming up? You're going to FedCon this week, is that right?
2: Uh, this is partly because of Stellar Cartography and partly because of Star Trek Continues. This has turned into a huge convention year for me. So yeah, FedCon in Germany for the first time in like ten years, um, and then Phoenix Comic Con is right after that, uh, first weekend in June, and um, we're going to do some continued screening there, but also. Um, no no premieres or whatever. They're having the world premiere of Episode 3, which I'm not in. But it's going to be June 15th, and it'll be online. So for all the Continues fans there. Uh, convention-wise, then it's little uh, Bayou Con in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is a hoot at the end of the month. Third weekend. And then the last weekend of June is uh, my homies back in Oklahoma City with SoonerCon, which is growing every year now. Um, and then we've got uh, two days at Comic-Con san diego because this year with vegas trek right after that we're doing the tour this year our trek to vegas la to vegas uh trek film site tour again uh the second edition and going to valley of fire and um uh, which is where kirk died in generations so uh if we still get we we'll, i think june 10th is the deadline so people can still jump in on the big tour with a deposit and uh, get in touch and geeknationtours.com and all that, but um, we're offering a one day if you're coming to the Vegas TrekCon and you're there Wednesday before things start on Thursday, early morning Wednesday we're we're letting people come in as a day trip and jump in with the full tour, as we all go out to the Valley of Fire about an hour away and go we can, the bridge that Kirk died on was donated to the park and it's actually on a trail and we can go do there and see it and do photo ops and then go over to the film site where they did the uh, rocket launcher and. And uh the final fight and Kirk's Drave and all that stuff is in one basic place. And it'll be hot, but we'll be ready for it. And it's you know, it's a, it's a it's incredible scenery, like everything else on the tour. It's incredible for what it is, much less it's trek piece in trek history. And um and it, and the park itself, this one is incredible scenery as you know, and uh it's very there's a lot of petroglyphs and Native American pieces there, ancient, ancient peoples. So we're gonna stop by the visitor center and see that too and get out of the heat too. So um, that's cool. That's coming up, and then there is an amazing thing I'm going to get to do as an event in the fall that I can't talk about yet. But hopefully that'll that'll come soon. And um, we're going to debut another Trek London speaker uh, at Vegas. And I'll just tell you guys that our number two was uh, was all about all good things on its 20th anniversary, and mm-hmm. our fall one. I'm torn between either doing a 15th anniversary thing on. Uh, what You Leave Behind, the DS9 finale, or do a 20th anniversary, the startup of Voyager, and doing Caretaker. The first one. And, <laughs> and of course, we're talking <laughs> talking about pulling, you know, Michael and Jerry and you know, Dan Curry or Mike Westmore, a 15, 20-minute chunk of them talking about it. You know, yeah, with, the with, with the other one, it would be Ira and Ron and those guys.
1: Okay.
0: Well, that was definitely fun talking to Larry about... Stellar Cartography and the rest of his career. But that's not the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. Here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And we go to the theater. I still remember this. Even though I was only four, I still remember this. We go to the theater and we're watching it. And then that Klingon dog shows up on screen. And I'm like, (laughs) what the frack is that? Get me out of here right now. Earl Grey. He would have excellent bedside manner. Here is a joke I know.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, would you like a Sumerian sunset? It is pretty. It will lift you from your terminal case of uh, gout. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, choo! The Ready Room. I think that she is picturing him in the en naturel division of synchronized. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Fine, which is not an Olympic sport, but they are considering it, <laughs> it as a demonstration <laughs> sport for the Rio de Janeiro games coming up. The orb is it? This thing like where women like bad boys or something? Does Dakot have a Harley that I don't know about?
2: Uh, I think he must. Uh, <laughs> and, I don't know. You know, he rides around on a Harley. Uh, he's he uh, just breaking hearts all over the place.
1: To the journey. <laughs>
2: He says, yeah, they want me to read. They're saying it's mine if I want it, but I don't want to do And she, like, jumps out of her chair and, like, shakes him. She's like, what? Are you kidding? This is Star Trek. Are you kidding? You would be made for life.
1: Commentary, Trek Stars. I thought you were going to do a Brandon Braga voice.
2: <laughs> it's uh, it's really hard to do a Brandon Braga voice. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. It's right gotta be, uh, <laughs> you know, it's got to be kind of quiet.
1: Literary, Treks. Again, it was originally published as a scroll form and then later as a codex book, and now both in print and electronic form in the 24th century. And this particular edition of it has an introduction, and afterward, and modern commentary by a 24th century Klingon novelist named Karatak. Continuing mission. Goal was to try to get as much Trek content into people's hands and to let people explore the Trek universe with their own spaceship and build their own crew in the way they want, customized and design and just you know to be in your own Star Trek world. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: So check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek Talk. We have new shows for you every day and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom, um Spreaker. Uh, You can download them right from our website, just go to trek.fm, or, you know, probably the easiest thing to do, go to itunes.com slash trek.fm, and you'll see a whole big page right there on iTunes with all of our shows, and, and it's really cool. Also, if you happen to be downloading this episode the day we release it, which is Friday, June 6th, the next day, Saturday, June 7th, there's going to be a Star Trek convention in Chicago. And, um, I myself will actually be there, so if you are going to be there as well, say hi. Hit me up on Twitter, at mumbles3k, and, uh, let me know you're going to be there, and, and I'll stop by and say hi. Or, if you just see me walking the floor, say hi. I will be wearing a pink white socks cap. Probably the only person at the con who is going to be wearing a pink white socks cap. Um... For those of you who are unaware, uh, the White Sox wear their pink caps when they're animated, kind of like Tribbles. Anyway, before we go, we'd also like to ask you to please support our sponsor, who makes it possible for us to bring commentary, Trek stars, and our other shows to you each week. Our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. You can get a ton of books for free on Audible. You know, there's there's one book that Larry wrote that we didn't cover on the show because it was released in the UK and all that stuff, but he talks about it, and that's uh, his his making of Star Trek First Contact. And while Larry's book is not on Audible, Audible does have the adaptation of First Contact, which you can get for free since you're a listener uh, on Trek FM. It's written by J.M. Dillard and narrated by Gates McFadden. It's three hours and four minutes long, And uh, here's the description, for those of you not familiar with the movie. Resistance is futile. The greatest threat the Federation has ever faced is the half-organic, half-mechanical Borg. Now more dangerous than ever, the Borg threatens the Federation's past, present, and future. Read by Gates McFadden, Beverly Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation. And like I said, you can get this book for free on Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trek.fm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com trek.fm and we thank you and Audible for supporting commentary, Trek stars, and trek.fm. As always, you can find us right here on Trek.fm where we do commentary Trek stars. Or you can also find me on Trek.fm where I do uh, standard orbit along with Drew. Where we talk about the original series. You can also find both Max and myself on our own website, CommentaryTrackStars.com. Also, you know, hit us up on Twitter, at ComTrackStars. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about Larry. Or send us an email at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. All right, well, that's it for our look at Larry Nemachek. We would like to thank Larry for joining us, and uh, it, it was really fun and informative. Hope you all enjoyed it. And we will be back next week to talk about a fictional Star Trek creator, Benny Russell.